We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me today, we promised you interviews. We have Kings legend Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, what's going on? Well, not much. You know, definitely uh, retirement's retirement. And, uh, you know, just uh, looking forward to sporting events uh, later today. I love to watch golf and, of course, the playoffs. That's the most important thing. Uh, you know, finally, the finals are here. You know, as you know, the NBA goes on forever, as seems like every other sport does, too. You know, the, I was uh, talking to somebody the other day, and I thought about, you know, March Madness now actually is in April. And, <laughs> and, and, and I'm old enough to remember when the NBA Finals finished up in April. So, that, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's the way it is. And uh, TV controls so much, and but it should be a great series. I'm, I'm just hopeful, hopeful that Mike Malone and Denver can win it all. Yeah, let's start there because um, I think, you know, we have some unfinished business with Michael Malone here in Sacramento. And I think everyone in Sacramento is pulling for Denver uh, to to beat the Heat just because, you know, he's such a likable guy. He's such a, well, he's a curmudgeon, but he's likable at the same time. Just uh, how happy are you to see him make it to, to the finals and especially with the type of team he has? Yeah, well, extremely. You know, I mean, I've enjoyed watching them all year a lot, obviously, uh, Michael and his coaching ability, but, you know, Jokic and and just their unselfish style of play. Uh, they, they, you know, and they've been the best team in the West all year now. So, uh, I mean, I really did think most of the power was in the East. And, of course, that's why this should be an interesting uh, series is because, Miami, for some reason, was able to beat all the powers in the East. Yeah, I thought it was strange, too. Like, I I assumed that it would be whoever won the East would win the finals. 
I don't feel that way anymore. And I didn't know. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, it's a new thing. I mean, I, I really think Denver's the better team, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I'm concerned about the long layoff. You know, I think tonight's game will be an extremely important game. I mean, Denver just I think just has to get it uh, because uh, that's Miami's kind of mode there. They went into Milwaukee and they went into Boston to get those first wins on the road. Yeah, yeah, they seem to have figured out something. Um, and, you know, on the other side, Eric Spolstra, is he one of the most underappreciated great coaches that we've seen? Because it sure does seem like he he's just a, a magician. That's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's – you've got to put him among the elite of all time. You know, I mean, he, the championships he's won just like – I think this year probably people have started – appreciate just what a great coach he is uh because clearly the talent base nobody saw this coming uh you know the undrafted players and and you know uh obviously the whole miami organization is just top flight as i think stocked with pat riley but eric spolster is a hall of fame coach and i think everyone knows that now yeah i think so too uh they've just been wonderful to watch and they have this thing where, you know, it's not the stars that are winning games for them. Uh, they, you know, Jimmy Butler won some games early in the, in the playoffs, but it feels like they're one of those teams that they just have a bunch of random guys who, who come in and put a big numbers. So Caleb Martin is the, the latest to kind of step up and be that guy, but that's what the NBA playoffs can be about. It's about, you know, finding that extra guy that can put you over the top that you didn't expect that the other team didn't expect that really takes advantage of whether it's matchups or situation stuff. And uh, I think the the Heat are uniquely ready for that because they have a bunch of random players that, you know, even a guy like Gabe Vincent, local kid from here, um, you know, all of a sudden is thrust into like major role and, and coming up big for a team. So kind of an interesting way they've built that that squad. Yeah, and really when you think about, you know, it's the start of the year, who would have thought uh, Gabe Vincent was going to be far more important than Kyle Lowry yeah. uh, to the team? I mean, obviously Kyle's had a great career, but it's winding down. And then, uh, you know, Tyler Hero gets hurt, maybe their second best player. And Duncan Robinson, who hadn't really played in two years, just steps right in and actually shoots the ball better than Tyler did. Maybe not quite the complete player, uh, you know. And then, of course, you know, Caleb Martin, I mean, my goodness, uh, let go by Charlotte. And, and really, I thought he was the MVP of the championship, Eastern Championship Series, even over Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy's clearly the better player, but, uh, he, you know, Jimmy had a couple of bad games. Uh, Caleb had no bad games. Yeah, and he brings it on both ends of the, of the court. He's a Swiss Army knife. Uh, I told everybody last summer, just go get a Martin twin. I don't care which yes. one, just go. Just go get I, I, one of them. I agree with you. You're not going to get Caleb, but, uh, you know, maybe you can get get the other one in, in Charlotte because uh, right now you'd say, boy, the bloodlines look pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Cody Martin, uh, he was injured most of the season, but, you know, both of them were free agents last year, and it was like, man, that's the type of player the Kings need. Um, mm-hmm. Let's transition to that. Uh, the Kings finally made it. They finally broke the curse um, just how much joy did you get watching this season and seeing a team come together that, you know, I don't think anyone expected. Uh, I mean, I, 
like what odds makers had them at 33 and a half, 34 wins. Um, but for them to come, uh, come in and just really take the league by storm and be one of the, the most fun and complete teams in the league all, all season long. Really was. I, I can't think of a, a year where I've enjoyed this, any team anymore. I, I think I, you know, I, I'd have to go back to the, uh, uh, 98, 99 lockout season when the Kings actually turned it around at that point, you know, with, uh, Vlade and Weber and, and, and Jay will, uh, you know, that team wasn't a finished product like this team isn't a finished product, but they came out of nowhere and were so much fun to watch every night. Even, you know, even the losses were fun. And I, and I thought that way about this team, I, I like say, it's been a long time since I, I couldn't wait for a game to start. You know, I'd be in my recliner early and ready. And, uh, you know, just the unselfishness of the team, the, you know, it's just remarkable. And, of course, obviously great coaching. Uh, just just a true highlight. Yeah, and you talk about the great coaching. Did you expect this from Mike Brown? Because, I mean, Mike Brown is I – don't, I don't want to call him a, a true retread by NBA standards, um, but – but maybe like he's a guy who hadn't coached, uh, hadn't been head coach in six or seven years, um, you know, had done great things in Cleveland, but with LeBron had Kobe for a year and that didn't work out, went back to Cleveland for a year that didn't work out. But um, did you expect him to be able to sort of capture the imagination of the team like he did this season? No, no. You know, I, I really thought it was a good hire. I thought, you know, he's a professional coach, you know, just, I did. I didn't know Mike, but I know a lot of people who do very well, and 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 nobody, everybody spoke highly of him, you know, as a coach and even more so as a person. So I I thought it would, you know, definitely have a chance of working out, but certainly didn't think that uh, what we saw uh, we'd get. And you know, obviously credit to a lot of people. I mean, the roster was much improved by Monty McNair, but I I think the only thing is, like, say a coach can do once he's got the roster is uh, motivate it and utilize it correctly. And and I don't know of a coach who did better than that. You know, I mean, we might talk about Spolster now or something in the same vein of utilizing what talent's there. But, but Mike, uh, I just think certainly deserving of coach of the year and, you know, probably got six, seven more wins at least out of his team. You know, even once you saw the talent base was a little better than most people, but, uh, yeah, I can't think of a, you know, you, you know, any coach in Kings his Sacramento Kings history that uh, has done a good a job in one year. Uh, I mean, that even includes uh, Rick Adelman, who I think truly is a Hall of Famer and proven to be. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, we had this discussion on the radio. I was on with D'Lo and Casey. Uh, I think it was last week, the week before, and we looked at the the Heat and. I asked a question, Are the, is a combo of Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler better than the combo of Demonis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox? And I, I don't know, like the twosome, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting question, right? And if that's who you're building around, how, how far away are the Kings? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really, I think it'd be tough if I were a front office person to make the trade even up for those two. Uh, of course, a lot of us due to age uh, yeah. with Jimmy. Um, of course, Fox has, has got all his best years ahead. And I think 
Domas can stay where he is at least for a lot of years. And Jimmy, you know, Jimmy's not on the downslide by any means, but you're talking about a couple of top years probably left. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's, it's a great point. I mean, I think that's what you need to look at when you look at top teams. And I think that's why Denver is where they are, obviously with Jokic and Jamal Murray, uh, re really that's, that's about as good a duo as there is. That's for sure. And, uh, of course, Jamal, I mean, early, most of the early part of the season, he, he wasn't anywhere near where he is now, but he is more than back a hundred percent. So yeah, if you're the Kings, uh, and I think they know, I mean, to me, it's not a finished product. It's a work in progress. You've got two, two proven guys that you can build around and, uh, You've got some good players there here already, but it's also true if you want to win the West or contend, uh, you, you really just don't have enough talent, in my opinion. I mean, I think it's much like that 98-99 team that surprised everybody and made the playoffs. But people forget. I don't because I'm old. But I remember who started on that team. And it was, it, you know, Pager was a rookie, but he didn't start. Corvus Williamson did. And, and you had Lottie and, and Chris. Jason Williams and Olivier Saint Jean, yeah, Tariq Abdul Wahed, Tariq, Olivier Saint Jean, Tariq Abdul Wahed, <laughs> and uh, you know, obviously there were some, you know, the years went by. There's some mistakes made, the Nick Anderson kind of thing, but yep. obviously yep. then the trades to once it was clear. I mean, Jeff knew right away that the future was was Pages, so the Corliss Williamson trade brought you Doug Christie and. And then later, Jay Will, you know, once you see Christie could run a club, then Jay Will became expendable for Mike Bibby. And, uh, you know, and that's the kind of thing that I think the Kings have got to do. They've got some real assets now, mm -hmm. in, including the Vesnikov, uh, that, that maybe they can get the piece, you know, they need uh, or two, you know, which I think probably they're. The, you know, everybody like we all would just love to say, oh, just run it back like it is. And I think you could and, and you'd be a playoff team, but I don't know why you'd think that you're going to uh, beat Denver or, or some of the other teams for sure. Yeah, I, it's interesting because the way the team is constructed right now, um, I, I agree with you. I think they are missing. It's probably two really good pieces that that puts them over the top. I mean, you need length and athleticism that this team doesn't have uh, right now, which is why their uh, their defensive limitations are there. And you know they need a backup center. They they need a, a three four. They might need two three fours. Um, they they might even need a big point guard to back up De'Aaron Fox. Uh, like I, I think that there are all kinds of ways that this team can improve. Um, do you think that uh, like? How how would you attack this summer? What would be your priority if you were if you were running this squad? Well, I, I I'm like you. I mean, I I see you know kind of the two needs like you do. I, I, they need more length and and certainly be nice to have a a backup guard, if not point guard, lead guard that has length and size. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in my mind, they could get by with because of Sabonis. They could get by with you know just a a, a really good guard that can it's got some handle because Domas is going to run the offense a lot. So uh, 
But, you know, I mean, the guy, I mean, just use an example here. I know he's not available, but Derek White, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, a guy that can score, can handle, can defend a couple positions, uh, has been there, or done that, that type of thing. And then I'm more in the mode of uh, the Kings really need a four or five, a guy who could play with Sabonis and behind Sabonis. And, of course, I've got a favorite, have had for a number of, for a long time, and that's Nas Reed. Yep. Who, if, I mean, I think he can shoot the three. He's athletic. He's tough. Got a little mean streak. I don't know enough about him, you know, coachability and all that stuff. That, that I mean, so that might be, he might not be the right guy, but I'm saying that type of guy who you know can stretch the floor. And then see, in my mind, I think your backup three, four should be Harrison Barnes going forward. Uh, and Keegan Murray becomes your starting three. I think that's his going to be his position needs to be going forward for him to be, you know, the player that he could be. And then I think Harrison really at his age and, and his skill, which is still there and he's really good and good guy. Uh, I think he could give you really that consistent backup guy at a couple of spots, uh, you know, when you're playing going small ball or, or whatever. So to me, if you could do some of those kind of things, I think the team, you could say the team is going to be better and maybe have a better chance of moving forward. Okay. So lots to unpack there. So I'm, I'm going to start with this. Um, like coming into the league, like I looked at Keegan as a, as a more of a four than a three, like a four that can play three, not a three that can play four. Um, as his career is going to develop here, do you think there's a possibility you can make the full shift with him to the three? Do you think he can hang up, can hold up at the three full time going forward? I do. I mean, I think it's a it's certainly going to be a progress. I mean, you know, the if if you'd asked me that early in the year, I said no. But the wonderful thing about Keegan is, it seems like every situation he's put in, he adjusts pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, obviously his shooting is there already, you know, he's got to be, and he's a good enough rebounder for a three. I don't know that he's ever going to be a consistently good enough rebounder for four on a championship caliber kind of team. And I think defensively, he's got a chance his length. He has good instincts, getting better, getting tougher. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, basically with him, it's a matter of uh, adjusting to playing you know, off the dribble a little bit more, developing, you know, the floaters, the mid-range game a little more. But but it sure seems like that the progress he made during the season was really remarkable. Uh, and I don't know why he couldn't make, you know, won't make another step. And, uh, and you know, at his length and size, if he could do that, he could be one of the real elite small forwards in the league. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the Kings are kind of at an impasse with him. What do you do this summer? Because this is the super important summer for him. Do you bulk him up to to withstand some of the bigger fours, or do you lean him down, really work on strength and agility, um, work on lateral quickness? Like those are things where I, I mean, he should be doing that stuff either way. But uh, you don't want to bulk a guy up if he's going to slide over and play predominantly at at the three. So I'm intrigued to see what he does. And I think the Kings mindset on him has changed as well. They, they believe that like there's a shot he can stick at the three. 
Um, and, and if he can, I think it changes everything for the franchise, like moving forward, it really does give them that one piece. I think it's easier to find the Nas Reeds or the Sasha Vizinkovs. Uh, it's easier to find like pieces to, that will work even a Trey Lyles at the four than it is at the three. Um, although I still think, you know, having shooters at the four is one of the most important things in the modern NBA game. Um, it's something that Dave Yeager complained about all the time. Can you just get me a, a stretch four? Like, I don't care who it is. Can you go get me a stretch four? And uh, I think they delivered him like Anthony Tolliver. Um, but even when you put Anthony Tolliver at the four, the offense worked better. And so I, I think it's something that you're going to have to wait and see as far as whether Keegan can stick there long term. Um, and you brought up the Harrison Barnes thing. How much did your perspective of Harrison Barnes change? Like, I mean, at the beginning of the season, he looked he looked pretty close to done. And then all of a sudden, he has this sort of recovery and, and was pretty phenomenal. He played 82 games, uh, averaged 15 points a game, his three-point stroke came back. Um, you know, he's always been a great locker room guy, community guy, all that stuff. Uh, but you get to the playoffs, and you saw how, like, Again, I, I don't want to bemoan this point, but one shot, if he would have beat that, if he would have hit that shot in what game four and they would have gone up three to one, I think our perspective of what Harrison Barnes is on this team moving forward might have been a little different. He misses a shot and and I don't want to blame him. I mean, shots, you make shots, you miss shots, that happens. But the way that he barely played in game six and game seven, I just thought it really it changed the perspective of him and maybe changed the perspective of him as a free agent and moving forward with this team. Yeah, I think a little bit. Uh, you know, I thought he had a really good year. Obviously, he played every game, guy that was always ready. And that's why I, I guess my stance on him is that I, I wouldn't want to lose him. I mean, obviously, there's a price you're not going to pay. But uh, I think he has a, a lot of value you know, on the court, off the court. And I see it more going forward as a, as a key reserve, you know, three, four kind of guy. Uh, and I think he would be a great mentor, uh, which he always has been to anybody. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, and there again, he's still an asset and, and this is a team that you can't get better by losing assets for nothing. So if you have to overpay a little bit, to keep him, I would certainly do that. I don't know what the overpay number is because Harrison does have value in the league. I, I'm very sure of that. And so, you know, that's usually a good, good model. You know, I mean, I always go back to, to, to bogey a little bit had to my mind had clearly more value in the league than buddy did. And uh, you know, if you'd been able to move buddy, by himself and then kept bogey and then later you could you could have always moved bogey like you still could if you're Atlanta so uh you know it's assets and I think that's what Vesnikov is too I mean he may be the player you need but he's a player that uh the league knows is a good NBA prospect and so you know so that's all good and that's a credit to to Imani and and his staff and so you know, at the end of it, uh, I'd like to see them keep the guys they've got for the most part, unless you can make a trade for something you know is better. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, try to get somebody else's free agent and uh, 
and not lose an asset in doing it necessarily. I mean, probably you could feel comfortable trading Rashawn Holmes now since he just doesn't have a role uh, for one reason or another. But I think he still, I know he could help teams. If you could move him and whether it's sign and trade or something, that that's different. So a lot of a lot of ways to go about it, but but I, I agree with you. I mean, they need more athleticism, more length, and uh, you can never have too much shooting. And that's why I do like Vesnikov. I mean, he's a big-time shooter. I don't know that he's a four. I'm not sure he's going to rebound well enough, but that's, you know, that that remains, uh, you know, and, and he is who he is at his age. You're yeah. going to get who you get. Yeah, I think the thing about him that I like is um, the shooting is is incredible. Like he, he has a quick release um, in the NBA game. He'll have more space than he does in, in the European game. He's smart. He doesn't make a bunch of mistakes. Uh, I, I like him. Like he's a really nice back cut guy. I think he'll play really, really well with uh, with um, Domas. I think he's like almost a perfect fit, except for the fact that I, I don't think he's quality enough where I would put him as a starting four on a playoff team. And that's going to be a problem. And so I don't know yeah. how you get around that, but you're right. You can't have too much shooting. Um, and, but I'll also make the argument that if you come back this season and your, your three, four combo, your, your set is Keegan Murray and Harrison Barnes and Sasha Vizenkov and Trey Lyles. I don't think you're long enough. I don't think you're athletic enough. I, I don't think you're quick enough. Um, and I think you're going to have problems. And so like, I, mm-hmm. I, I would like to see how they balance all of that because I still think Trey Lyles is a really, really solid NBA player that can help a team. I think he can play some small ball five. I think you might be okay with him being a like your key backup five for a good portion of the season behind Domas. Um, but like, you still have to find a way to, not only bring in longer athletic players, but fit them into the rotation. You know, it's one thing to bring in a bunch of guys like Kessler Edwards that, you know, don't play that much. It's a whole nother thing when you, you need that player to play 20, 30 minutes a game to improve your defensive acumen. And so I, I still think like the roster construction is, is pretty interesting right now. We're at like a, a little bit of an impasse where, again, if you're going to bring Vizenkov over, like how do you improve the roster the rest of the way? Uh, does that mean no more Trey Lyles? Does that mean no more Harrison Barnes? Um, and can you bring in a guy like Nas Reed who might be a difference maker for your team? So, yeah, I think it's interesting, right? Yeah, it is. And I, I couldn't, I agree with everything you said. I, I mean, because, uh, I, I like Vesnikov, but I'm like you, it's like, I'm not sure that he'll be better than Trey Lyles. I'm not either at, yeah. at all. And so, uh, you know, so it'd be one of those things where you, so all of a sudden now you're just taking minutes from one to give to another guy that may be a slightly better shooter, but not near as good a player yeah. <laughs> uh, and rebound and all that. So, you know, that, that, that would be my issue too. I mean, you're, you're doubling up kind of, it's kind of like Monk and Herder. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, obviously Monk, I think overall had the certainly much better playoff, but, uh, you know, you, you know, I'm not sure either one. I mean, I think Monk's perfect in what he's doing, uh, whether Herder is or not going forward, and he's really good. But you need you need somebody of that size, probably that's better defensively and maybe yeah. a little more of a natural handle. That that makes sense. 
No, that makes sense. Like, I, I think the Kings have a lot of uh, a lot of decisions to make, both short term and long term. And you know, most of the decisions that they're going to have to make here, like Harrison and Trey, are the two guys that you're concerned with whether they're going to be back or not. But I think we talked about. I think Sasha is at Trey's level, well, right around mm-hmm. that level. And mm-hmm. then you losing Harrison Barnes for nothing would be, I don't want to say catastrophic. But it it would be tough. You don't really have players like him. He is a step above, you know, these other players that we're talking about as as far as Lyles or or uh, Sasha. Like I just think he's a, a better overall player. He's he's more durable. He's a guy who who does more on the court. And so you still have to find ways to replace that piece if he leaves. And you can't do it with you know three guys that might play ten minutes each. You got to have real NBA talent at that position. Um, but I also, I I would say like when I look around the league, having a guy like Sasha, I don't see that much of a difference between Sasha and, uh, like Davis Bertons and Bertons is out there making like 17 to 18 million bucks a year. And I think you'll be able to give a Zinkoff for more like the, the four to $5 million a year. And so I think there's really good value in what they're doing with, uh, with him, if they can get him to come overseas. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree there. And I mean, I yeah, I think he's a much better prospect than Bertrand's. I mean, he I don't know that he's a better shooter, uh, but but he's he's got more game to him, that's for sure. But uh yeah, it, it's it's it is one of those things to where if you you know, if you lose a Harrison Barnes or a Trey Lyles and and you keep Vesnikov, uh I don't think you got better. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, if nothing else, I think you're probably even, but you didn't get better. So I, I think what is the term uh, that Monty likes to use? Uh, maintain and improve. Um, yeah. Yeah, which I, I think is interesting. Um, I want to bring up uh, something. When it comes to Sasha, like you you were a GM, you were a head coach. Um, like have you you went through these situations where you were trying to recruit players uh, that you had drafted overseas and you're trying to get them to come over and join your team. What is that, that process like, you know, whether it was uh, Rodriga or whether it was Peja or, you know, you're still part of the the front office when they're bringing Hito over, like how difficult is that to, to get a player to try to realize his, his dreams at the NBA level when he's already looked at as a star in, in the European game? Well, it, it, in some case, if they're young enough, it's really not that hard. I think with Peja, he was under contract and couldn't get him for a year and had, had a, a, a serious injury as well. Uh, Hito uh, was ready. Yep. You know, I mean, I think with the younger guys, that's their goal is to get to the NBA as soon as they can. And uh, now we really had an awfully good player, I think, drafted that Jeff, I know, uh, really could never get over because of kind of what you talked about was an established star, Dejan Bodoroga. Uh-huh. And, and Bodoroga, I think, was going to be really good. You know, a, a better version of Ricky Rubio, a bigger, better version of that, in my opinion, because uh, he could score better. But, you know, he, he just, the time he was drafted by the Kings, he was, I think, twenty about 28 or 9 years old. And, uh, you know, and had seen some European guys struggle. 
-hmm. and he was a, a major star and making major money. And so uh, he never did come over. And I always thought that, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, looking back, had he come over, you know, at the time, uh, you know, I think he could have had an awfully good career. I'm confident of that. So, so it, it depends, you know, uh, like I said, with Vesnikov, I don't think it's automatic. He feels like he has to come, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, he's going to make a lot of money there. If he stays, he, he knows he's a star. He's comfortable in the league. You know, he knows he's not going to be in the NBA all-star likely. So yeah, it's a, I think it gets a little different as they get established, you know, uh, like say with Luca and those guys, well, Luca, you know, his whole goal was, you know, he was already the, the best player in Europe when yeah. he was 18 years old. So, uh, you know, I mean, he was kind of LeBron James of Europe. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think it's interesting, too, with uh, with Vesenkov. I mean, he's picked up, like, MVP trophies everywhere, like, nonstop. And I, I think he finished the season with three different MVP trophies. And, like, he's he's a really, really interesting prospect, especially for a guy who you know, he got better the last two years. It's not like this is who he was for the last, I mean, he's been a pro since he's like 15 um, and he got really good at 25. And and so it's kind of interesting to watch the growth of a player from afar and then see what, how he can possibly fit into what you're doing. Um, I, I want to, uh, before we get out of here, uh, I want to hit you up about, like you've also, you've been part of a, like a major draft process and, you know, for the last for my entire career covering the team, uh, the Kings are always in the lottery, you know, for since 2007, all the way until uh, I think the only year they didn't have a first round pick was 2019 when they had traded it. Um, but this is one of those years where you're not drafting in the lottery. And how is it different for you to draft in the lottery versus drafting around number 24? And I, I think the funny thing is in 1990, you had the one draft where you drafted everywhere. You drafted it mm -hmm. at seven, yeah. you drafted at 14, you drafted at 18, you drafted at 23. But how do you approach each of the, the different areas of the draft? And do you look at them differently or is it all the same? Well, I'll say this. It's, it's way easier to draft lower down. You know, the, the expectations aren't nearly as much. Uh, you know, the risks aren't nearly as much. And, you know, and I, I say just looking back to some of those drafts, uh, late drafts, you know, Gerald Wallace was a late first round. Uh, uh, Kevin Martin, uh, Francisco Garcia, Hito Turkoglu was 16th. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's, you know, and then, you know, we got some really good players in the second round. I think Darius Sangala and Randy Brown, uh, just a Benny Del Negro. I, I think it's a, uh, to answer your question, I mean, once you're down there, you're just looking for the best guy. I mean, that you think you're hoping, you know, that has, will have value to you and the NBA both. And, uh, and, and when you, to me, and there's always guys like that. I mean, obviously you look at the, the best players in the league now. I mean, Jokic and Jimmy Butler. Jimmy was a 30th pick and Jokic was 41st pick. <laughs> so, I don't, uh, you know, I mean, there's, you don't have to look very far to find out. Yes, there, there's gold, 
you know, there's always gold out there. You just, the lower you pick, uh, maybe it's been picked over a little more, but uh, as we know, uh, with, with the draft, so many of the top 10 players every year, a certain percentage fail. Yeah. You know, they just do. And they're not sure things. Uh, you know, I mean, we're pretty sure Wimbanyan is going to be a sure thing, uh, barring injuries. But uh, I'm not. Uh, I mean, whether you know, you know, whether Scoot Henderson will be a sure thing or not, I'm not as convinced. I, 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 I have no reason to think he won't be. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's been other small, quick, powerful guards that couldn't shoot well that. Uh, that didn't really carve out a great niche, you know? Yeah. So it's uh so it's, it's uh so it's that, but I guess the real question is, yeah, it's easier overall because you're looking at a lot of guys and all you're looking for is a guy you hope can make your roster and be an NBA player at some point, you know, it's like a Kevin Martin took a couple of years because the team was so good. And Gerald Wallace, who was a terrific prospect, but they just had, couldn't protect him in uh expansion draft oh yeah Yeah. who went on to be an all-star and so those were you know just as as uh, you know some of the lottery picks were total miss misses some of those guys were total hits it's like hito 16th in that draft he would have been a top three or four guy if you redid it yeah and uh, so you know pager was 15th you know uh or four, yeah, fourteenth, yeah. And Steve Nash was fifteenth on that draft, and Kobe Bryant was thirteenth. Thirteenth, yeah. Three, <laughs> best, three of the four best players went thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen in that draft. Yeah, that might be the best thirteen, fourteen, fifteen of all time. Like the, the, yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Um, all right. Well, uh, first of all, I love having you on. Uh, it's been a long time since we've been able to catch up a little bit. Uh, I'm glad to see everything's going well. You you look healthy. Uh, do you miss it? Do you miss being there every night? No, no, no. It's uh, it was time for me. And, I, you know, I, you know, to be honest, I, I knew my uh, mind, I recollections, uh, you know, I used to be pretty good on trivia and remembering names. Uh places, things, and as far as the NBA is concerned, I felt like I was about as good as anybody. And I, I knew that last year or so, it was definitely there was a drop, and there still is. I mean, I'll say I get a kick out of it. I, I can remember things from 30 years ago way better than I can remember stuff from yesterday or, or five days ago. So, no, it was, you know, it was time for me. Uh, I, I – I'd like being a fan, you know, and I'm, and I tell you, I'm really a Kings fan, but truthfully, I'm probably more of an NBA fan. I'm more of a basketball fan. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I like the game, you know, and I guess that goes back to my background because, you know, when you've been at different places, you're a fan of those teams, but then, you know, but overall you're the fan of the game more. And, and so that hasn't changed. And so I still, really pull for the Kings and watch a lot of other teams that really I enjoy watching. I, you showed up at a game and I, I was able to drop by and see you. One of your friends took yeah. you to a game this season. Yeah. But was it good to see the fans get, get that, uh, get to be back, you know, to, to find the love of the game again, because it felt like it, they Sacramento had lost the love of the game a little bit. And it felt like this oh. season it recaptured it. 
Oh yeah, you know it was, and uh, it was really great to get out there. I don't, I mean, my friend Mari Gloucester's, you know, been at me all year, and and I said, well, I I really enjoy watching them on TV, and and you know, just I'm I'm different. Things are different. I didn't know how comfortable it'd be to be back, but uh, uh, you know, I said if it's an afternoon game, uh, I'll, I'll give it a go, and it was. But like you said, it was great. It's great to see some fans. I'm was surprised that, you know, that they remembered who I was or, you know, not that it was a big deal. <laughs> I mean, it, but I mean, it's everybody has their time. And, you know, I know I've had mine, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm just really happy to, for the fans to get a team they deserve, you know, because this, this fan base is, uh, you know, not being treated well uh, overall, you know, had some great teams and some terrible teams, but uh, this, this last stint of what, 16 straight years, man, hope, hope that never happens again to anybody. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I don't think anyone, any fan base ever deserves to go through what Kings fans just went. Well, through. except the, wait a minute, except the Lakers, except for the Lakers, except you, that's fine, okay. <laughs> but it'll be okay because they'll think that Victor Wimbanyama is coming any day. He's just going to leave wherever he's at and join them with Giannis and everyone else. They'll believe that the whole time uh, because yeah. they're delusional Lakers fans. So it's okay. Yes, they are. Yes, they, they are. <laughs> and all these, like the Knicks and the Lakers assume every player is, is the number one choice in life is to go play for one of those teams. You know, uh, of course I get so depressed with that, but uh, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? All right. Uh, well, that is the incredible Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, just so you know, you're there's never going to be a time where uh, Kings fans don't know who you are and that time has passed you by. It has not passed you by. You're still sharp as a tack, and uh, I love having you on. And uh, I miss hanging out with you all the time at the arena and, and and our drives to the Bay Area. Although I don't miss the drives to the Bay Area at all. I, <laughs> I just missed no, the, only, the, the only thing good about those was uh, visiting with you. We're talking hoops all the way. That was it. That and our stops at Wendy's. <laughs> and our stop at Wendy's. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's uh, right. Yeah. No, I, I do miss. That's what I miss as much as anything. Yeah. Is, you know, press room and people, you know, ushers, people that I got to know, you know, and of course, coaches around the league and things. So I miss that more than um, having a job. You know, I mean, it, like I say, it was a uh, time for me and, and you can say I'm sharp as a tack, and I might be a, an old dull tack, but uh, a tack. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Beat Podcast. Thanks again to Jerry Reynolds for joining joining the show. Uh, we'll be back with another show uh, very soon with Sean and Brendan. Uh, thanks for dropping by and seeing us. Thank you, James. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 